Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. think with our easy access to Google to learn absolutely anything and everything that we would want deep knowledge. There's so much easily accessible information. Wouldn't you think that we'd want deep knowledge? Well, I'm not sure we do. I think we get a little too satisfied with the surface information and don't really go deep in our learning and our explorations. We also forget that the internet doesn't have editors and fact checkers, so it really is important to dig deeply to verify information. This podcast is all about developing intellectual curiosity, about cultivating a curious mind. It's my challenge to you and to myself to ask better questions that probe the why, the how, and the what. I'm going to offer strategies for cultivating a curious mind. First, we're going to talk about the things that get in the way, the perceptual blocks, and then we'll move to the things that we can do to create more curiosity. All right, let's start at the beginning. We often don't know what we don't know and don't know that we don't know. The process for developing a curious mind begins with humility with being humble enough to acknowledge the fact that no one of us is as smart as all of us. The humility to ask questions, to be vulnerable, and to step boldly into the unknown, unexplored learning territory. Cultivating a curious mind requires us to identify and to explore our perceptual blocks. These are the internal obstacles that keep us from perceiving issues and problems and opportunities broadly. Perceptual blocks keep us seeing what we expect to see and seeing what we want to see. Let me give you a personal example. I have a a brother and he's in a nursing home and I went to visit him. And I can tell you that I have not held his particular facility in high regard. I often think it's a dump. So when I visit, I always look for the worst in the facility, and it's not hard to find. On my most recent visit, there was a dirty napkin on the floor of his hallway. I watched an employee walk by it and not pick it up. I go in my brother's room, we visit for about 20 minutes, and then I went to the nurse's station to get him some juice. And do you know that that napkin was still there? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. And 20 minutes later, when I went back to the nurse's station to get him a snack, it was still there. I was fixated on the napkin, and you know I refused to pick it up. I was so disgusted. I mean, so disgusted that so many employees walked past it. I was so disgusted that I actually overlooked a couple of positive things. The first positive thing that I didn't acknowledge was the courtesy and the kindness that the greeter extended when I arrived. She helped me get into my full PPE and made sure that I completed the entry forms properly. The second positive thing that I didn't acknowledge was the 
extra effort that Stephanie, the activities person, gave to organize this visit. I was flying in from Maryland to see him. He refuses to go to the visiting area, so she had to get me approval to go into his room. I'm going to tell you, Stephanie is awesome, and I mean she is awesome. She had helped my sisters and I surprise him for his birthday in June, and then here she was helping me again. The third thing I didn't acknowledge was how kind the nurse on his floor was. When I went to get him the juice, I was getting apple juice. I love apple juice. And she told me, well, he really likes cranberry juice. Who knew? And then she made sure I had a couple of cold cranberry juices to take to the room. She even came to the room to take a picture of he and I. My perceptual block, seeing only what I expected to see, caused me to miss the human kindness that they extended to me. Yes, that darn napkin was a problem, but it temporarily blocked my ability to see the good. It also blocked my ability to be a bridge builder because at any point I could have said, hey guys, I noticed that that napkin's been on the floor a while. What's up? I could have said that. The next block that gets in the way of cultivating a curious mind is an inability to isolate issues. When we lump everything together, it's hard to find the threads and the strands that can create beautiful, beautiful tapestries. When issues are just a big lump, it's hard to find and figure out where the opportunities for creativity are hidden. The last block I want to highlight is saturation. When we're overextended, when we're swamped, it's nearly impossible to find the mental space to create. It's hard to find the brain power to ask questions and consider other perspectives. Give your mind some time to be idle. Allow yourself to have mindless moments where you, where you just let your mind wander. Don't crowd every minute of every day with activities. Allow yourself some time for random thoughts, for fantasies, for, you know, just playful musings. So why do we want to move beyond these blocks? Because, in the words of John Steinbeck in East of Eden, the free exploring mind of the individual human being is the most valuable thing in the world. I want to repeat that. The free, exploring mind of the individual human being is the most valuable thing in the world. So let's think about how, very specifically, we create a curious mind. Our goal is to challenge and to examine ideas. Creating curiosity or a curious mind enables us to ensure that our minds and our hearts don't become calcified. The first step is to seek, to intentionally seek divergent perspectives on the issues and the problems that are in front of us. This means inviting other opinions and other voices. And then you have to shut up. You got to be quiet and sit with those new opinions and voices. Don't just jump in responding and reacting. Give yourself time to look at other viewpoints. My sister and I have this question we ask each other when one of us is entrenched. It's a really simple question. She'll say, Jody, 
Can you consider another perspective? Or I'll say, Jeannie, can you consider another perspective? And we make sure that our tone is non-threatening, not aggressive, not frustrated. So think about some questions that you can be asking yourself and asking others. The second step to cultivating a curious mind is to intentionally seek complexity. Don't go after the easiest tasks. Challenge yourself to do harder stuff. And that means that you'll ask for more difficult assignments at work. It means you'll add something to your new fitness regimen. I took up pickleball this summer so I could challenge myself to learn a new physical activity. And it's been a lot of fun. It's also been hard to coordinate my hands, my feet, my arms, and aim at that silly little ball. But it's fun, and it activates my brain differently. For me, it's the same thing with yoga. I forced myself to move from gentle yoga to yoga one, and then after a while, I challenged myself to move to yoga two. I'll tell you, all of these challenges seem to open up my mind to new people, to new ways of living, new ways of thinking about myself, and new ways of thinking about my own abilities. Think about the ways that you can add complexity to your regular tasks. Think about adding complexity to your life by taking on new activities, especially the activities that scare you. Brainstorm ways to challenge yourself to push beyond what you think are your limits. When we start to think about curiosity on the personal level, I think we're opening our eyes to what we can be. And that is so much more than what we can actually see. When we increase complexity and develop mastery, we begin to enjoy activities a lot more. New challenges, new opportunities, they expand our boundaries and our capacity for curiosity. The third step I want you to consider is to identify the things that you want to know about. What are the questions that you want answered in every sphere of your life? Start a list of things you wish you knew more about. Is there a process in your company? Is there a piece of legislation in Congress? Is there a form of martial arts? Is there a language? Is there a culture? What is it that you want to know more about? Once you've identified those areas, that's when you can start your learning. Be willing to dig deep to learn. Be willing to pose lots of questions to other people who know about the things that you're interested in. Developing an inquisitive mind is not a solo practice. Involve and engage other people so that some of your curiosity can be satisfied and so that you can move to the next level of inquiry. This fourth step, this fourth step to creating a curious mind and to cultivating curiosity is environmental. Do you have spaces and places where you can create? Do you have spaces and places where you can play? Do you have spaces and places where you can pray and meditate? A curious mind requires the right environment. I think those environments are uncluttered and peaceful. 
For some people, they're going to be outdoors. Some people may create sanctuaries in their homes. I have a friend who took this tiny niche and made it her special relaxation place. I'm not sure, but I think it was a closet originally. But she painted it a color that she liked. She put cushions on the floor and made it off limits to everyone else in her house. That's where she went to decompress and to really think about and ponder things that were on her mind. So think about how can you create the right environment that allows you to have both physical and mental space for you? An unquiet mind can't be curious and it can't be maximally creative. The fifth step is play. Play with others. Play by yourself. Play new sports. Play new games. Consider play that doesn't require competition and gives you that sense of childlike abandon. You know, playing can mean hosting or attending game nights. And don't play all the same games every time. I love Scrabble. And I mean, I love Scrabble. But I had a ball at a game night where we played something called Culture Tag and another game called Lyrically Yours. The answers were hilarious. And I mean hilarious. I couldn't help laughing at myself, and I'm still laughing at myself now because my answers were often ridiculous. They were almost always wrong, and most of my answers were off the wall. But that laughter was healing, and it was healthy for me and everybody else at the game night. Listen, you got to admit what you don't know and then ask for information about it. And that's the sixth step. I hate that stupid expression, fake it till you make it. If you keep faking it, how are you ever going to really learn? Ask for information. Being willing to ask is a sign of curiosity, of humility, and of a genuine desire to learn. Use questions to probe more deeply into the unknown and the unfamiliar. As you learn more from your questions, you can go deeper and then ask more questions. Don't go back to the same people for deeper information. Create a learning circle or a learning network of lots of experts on a topic. You know, if you limit your questions to one person, you've limited your information to their knowledge. Go broadly in your quest for information. The last step, the seventh step, is be willing to be wrong. Nobody knows everything. We don't even know everything about our areas of expertise. That's because there's too much to be known. It's also because new information and new knowledge is constantly being developed. I get excited about reading new books on organization development and executive development and human development. I learn new approaches for helping my clients and for helping myself. But I don't limit myself to new books or new articles. I also like to go back to older stuff because there's always something to gain from classic works. My goal is to keep adding to my body of knowledge so that I won't be stuck. It's not so that I won't be wrong, but when I ask experts' questions, I want to have a little bit of a foundation to build on. So that's why I try to keep adding to my own knowledge. 
I'm willing to be wrong and then to learn more because I think they're both important. You know, I think that more important is the humility. The humility not just to be wrong, but to admit that you're wrong. I think people respect us more and regard us more highly when we can admit we're wrong and admit our mistakes. This is how we create more trusting relationships. Look, don't worry about looking dumb or looking foolish. I think it's a wise person who can admit when they're wrong and get some new information. All right, let's wrap this one up. The seven steps that I just ran through are seeking divergent perspectives, seeking complexity, identifying things you want to explore, creating the right environment, starting to play, admitting what you don't know, and then admitting your mistakes. Look, don't, don't try to jump in and tackle all seven. Start somewhere and go from there. E.L. Doctorow put it best when he said, when ideas go unexamined and unchallenged for a long enough time, they become mythological and very, very powerful. They create conformity and they intimidate. Cultivating a curious mind enables us to examine and challenge our ideas, to reduce conformity, to not be intimidated by our own mental inertia. A curious mind, it's worth the effort to cultivate. I want to be a flexible thinker. I want a fluid mind. I don't want my mind to become calcified or numb. And that means that I have to, and you have to, sharpen our minds by intentionally adding new information, inviting new perspectives, and creating habits of strength by being on an endless, endless, eternal learning journey. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe if you haven't already. I add new and relevant leadership learning all of the time. If you haven't visited the Smichael Speaks YouTube channel, check it out. There's all sorts of new content. All of this is virtual leadership learning that will help you soar.